You've seen the big plays. Jaron stepping to his right, looking, looking, stopping, firing, end zone, touchdown! You've heard what the playmakers and coaches have had to say. Up for a three, got it! But now it's time to go behind the mic with BYU Sports Broadcasters to get their distinctive take on the games. Oh, what an aggressive play! This is Behind the Mic with host Cleon Wall. We're here to bring you unique insights and stories from the BYU sports broadcasters who cover the Cougars and from the Cougars themselves. Talk of football in the spring brings a lot of excitement to a college football fan base, but spring scrimmages can be a little less satisfying. Yeah, it was all right. I mean, it's always frustrating. I think every spring I've ever had, you kind of walk away wanting to do more, but it is what it is. That's new BYU QB Keaton Slovis. Even offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick said BYU's spring game was boring. So did we learn anything from the Cougars' public practice? A week later, I thought I would ask that of Blaine Fowler, who helped to broadcast the scrimmage and has seen plenty of spring games in his time. No, I I think the spring scrimmage really was more about just giving the fans something to get excited about because um, they had a what I would consider the real spring scrimmage on Monday previous to that, where they tackled to the ground, not, not the ones, the ones versus ones, they just they just played thud, but but they tackled all these folks um, that are they're vying for the backup spots or guys that they're trying to evaluate um, on both sides of the ball. They let them go full go, tackle them to the ground, and uh, and and saw what they needed to see then. Um, and this this was really more about okay, there's some new faces, there's some old faces for people to get excited about. We've got all the alumni on campus. We've got all of our current NFL guys on campus. Um, we've got a bunch of recruits on campus. This this was more of a celebration of BYU football than us reading anything into what they're going to run offensively or defensively or any of that. And for what they wanted to accomplish, I, I thought they did. Uh, pe- people got excited. The alumni felt connected. The players that are currently here, even some of these new transfers, felt connected to the alumni players and to the fan base. That was the purpose of all of this, not to see some new scheme or make something of it for, for this next fall or to evaluate talent. It was more just to to have a celebration of BYU football and its history and to welcome the new players into the program. And for that, I think it did a great job. What did you garner from watching the defense? I ask because, I mean, they look good in what I was able to see, or at least they, they look better than what we saw from, from the defense last year. But even defensive coordinator Jay Hill said that they wanted to see how guys hustled. Maybe what did you learn either from there or maybe from that scrimmage on Monday? Uh, What have you learned about the defense or what we can expect coming up in the fall? Well, I, I've been, I've watched them a lot more than just last Monday. So, so, and I've watched them, I've seen um, pretty much every scrimmage during spring ball. And they're, they're probably going to have one more because remember, this spring game wasn't the end of spring ball. They have this week off for spring break, and they come back and they have practices next week. So this is just a little bit of a pause. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you, on the defensive side of the ball, first of all, it's going to be a much more aggressive um, style of defense, especially on the front. You see the D linemen with a lot more one gap where they get to a gap, they play through a man to a gap, they get to the heel line of the offense and play in the offensive backfield. Um, which is a little different philosophy than, than what they've run the last couple of years where they've asked those guys to play. Sometimes they play one gap, sometimes two gap, but more of a, a catch and read type of a front. This is a much more downhill defense. Um, and, and I think it's, I think the linebackers 
it, just think what Utah's played or what you saw Weber play the last couple of years. When your defensive line plays really aggressive and they tie up blocks up front because they're so aggressive in getting off the ball, it makes it difficult for the offensive line to combo block down to the linebackers. So your linebackers get a lot of free runs to the football. They make a lot of tackles for loss. They make a lot of tackles, period, because everything's funneled to them. So I expect guys like Ben Bywater, who is limited, Max Tooley, who is, who, you know, these guys have all had offseason um, uh, injuries that, the, that they're nursing. Uh, Kabika Gagne, uh, uh, Isaiah Glasker, Logan Pete, guys that are coming back to be much more effective than, than we've seen them are much more involved in terms of production than we've seen them in, in the past at those linebacker positions. And a couple of new backers really stood out to me during spring. Some guys to, that, that I think people are going to be talking about. Um, and they're both the, – the two that stood out the most to me at linebacker are both named Kafusi. So it's Ace and Micah Kafusi, both freshmen. Ace is the, the 6'3", 205-pounder out of Kahuku High School, cousin of Micah, who, who's also a freshman. 6'4", 210 pounds out of Alta High School. Um, they're long, athletic, can run, cover a lot of ground, physical. They're a little light right now because they're freshmen, but expect them both to be 10 to 15 pounds heavier by the fall. And I think that, you know, you add that to Bywater and Thule and the 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 group that's already that we're already familiar with. And I think the linebacker position is going to be a shining star in the fall in this new in this new defense. So you're talking about the linebackers. We're expecting them to get a lot more tackles. We're expecting them to be aggressive on the field. But it kind of sounds like to me, from what you're talking about, and from what we've seen from Utah, if we're going to go back to Utah, is that really the key is going to be the defensive line being able to do their job, so that the linebackers can then maybe not be the glory hogs, but but get that tackle that everyone notices on the field. Yeah, and you've got you've got Tyler Batty who's back. You've got Mangelson who's back. There's a good core coming back, and I actually feel like the style that they're asking him to play is more conducive um, to guys like Mahe and Caden Hawes and these guys. Um, I, I think that they'll be more effective because th- those guys don't have overwhelming length and size, but they do have great explosive explosive power off the line of scrimmage where they can get some depth. And we're asking them to kind of kind of wrestle at the line of scrimmage last year, where this year we're going to ask them to get quickly through half a man into a gap and then hold that gap. I, I just feel like the defensive line um, is, is going to be solid this next year. And they'll do that job of freeing up folks to get, you know, to get to um, the, the linebackers to get to the ball and to make tackles for loss and all that. And then, there's some outside guys like Isaiah Bagna that's a transfer from Boise State that's really going to add um, a, a you know a skilled outside pass rusher uh, to this defense. He's a proven commodity at Boise State, and he should be really good in his role as an edge rusher for BYU in this defense. Jacob Robinson got an INT in that spring scrimmage in front of all the, the fans. How do you think this team stands right now with Robinson, newcomer Eddie Heckard, and the other guys manning the corner position right now? Well, what they're looking for is depth because they're two guys that are starting are as good as anybody has, as good as anybody has in the Big 12. And so so uh, Robinson is unbelievably skilled. Like Brian Logan, who I, I trust when, he, when, you, when we break down technique, Brian Logan, you think about it, he started at BYU as a corner and was very effective at 5'6". To, to be good at 5'6", your technique has to be so 
perfect. Um, and so he really gets technique. Uh, and when he last year when he was watching Robinson, he's just he's just like, oh my gosh, this guy is ridiculously skilled. His feet are phenomenal. His hips are phenomenal. His ball skills, meaning when the ball's in the air, his ability to adjust to the ball and make a play on the ball. He's even remarkably physical and not afraid to come in there and throw his body in, even though right now he's probably a little light. Um, so so with him, from a skill set uh, perspective, he's as good a cover guy as anybody in the country has. He's got the speed. He's got the skills. And you hope that you can put about – maybe put 10 pounds on him. If you can put 10 pounds on him – Without changing his ability to run and cover ground, um, now you're talking about a potential NFL corner. And then Eddie Heckard, he was an NFL potential corner after last year. And the debate was, does he just go out or does he come back? And fortunately, Jay Hill talked him into, hey, you know what? You're probably going to sign as a free agent. You're, you're good enough. You're going to make a team in the NFL. That's how good you are. But come down to BYU, play in a P5 conference against – outstanding competition week after week prove yourself and and become a, a draft pick rather than a free agent or a late rounder become a higher draft pick and get yourself guaranteed more money and have the fun of being down here he's been phenomenal in in spring ball so those two are really really solid and what they're looking for is is depth at that position uh you know Mori bombo who transferred him from tyler is is really skilled does he become that third guy um, a couple of the freshmen that were were here last year, um, you know, are vying for that. So, so they need they need at least three because they need one to rotate, and it would be really nice to have four corners. Right now, I feel great about two, and I'm looking for somebody in fall camp to establish themselves as the three and the four corner. Um, and then at safety, it might, at safety, Micah Harp is a proven commodity, um, and and he had a phenomenal spring. He is so physical. And you're going to see him get a lot more opportunity to hit this this fall in this defense because in this defense, the strong safety plays a lot more in the box and is more, involved more in the run game. And I think Michael will be playing a lot of strong safety um, and, and and doing a great job there. So uh, you know, I look for him uh, to to be a proven entity that knows what he's doing out there and can play and can play really really well. Let's go over to the other side of the ball. Uh, QB is always a hot topic. We know who the starter is. It's Keaton Slovis. How has he looked, and then what have you seen from the backups in Jake Retzlaff and Cade Finnegan so far this spring? Yeah, so Cade Finnegan knows the offense better than anybody, although Keaton's you know closing quickly. Um, but people don't realize is, is that Cade would have played down the stretch in some games had he been healthy. He was in a boot. He hurt his ankle in practice at the end of the season and wasn't able to wasn't able to play and compete. Otherwise, we would have seen him get reps last year. We we. We didn't get a chance to see him, so everybody thinks he's like this unknown. But he proved himself and worked his way up the depth chart. He would have been the backup down the stretch, um, and 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 not Jacob Conover. That that's that's why Conover transferred out. That's one of the reasons he transferred out. Cade has passed him by, and in, in in fall camp and would have been the next game. We saw Conover play a little bit, um, and had Cade been available, I don't know that we would have even seen that. Um, so he knows the offense. He has the skill set. He can make every throw. He really has great velocity on the ball, I, and he's had an impressive spring. Retzlaff's got a little bit of a different skill set that he brings. He he has the arm, um, not I don't right now. He hasn't shown me that he's quite as accurate as as um, as Finnegan or uh, as Keaton, 
But he has this element of athleticism where he can run around, and he's really accurate throwing the ball when he's on the move. Um, you could do a bunch of RPO stuff with him. Like He's just a really good athlete um, that, that brings that extra thing to um, – to the game. So I could see them even designing some, some specific plays for him in this offense. Um, and then Keaton Slovis looks exactly the part, like a veteran guy that's played in a bunch of P five games. He's tall, he's strong. He makes every throw. He can throw the 18 yard comeback. He can get the ball deep. He throws with tremendous velocity and accuracy for him. It's comfort level with the offense. And we saw him grow in that all spring long. It, it's, He's a very committed film guy. Like he, like the, his teammates refer to him as like a gym rat in football, where he's constantly in the film room. He's always in the workout room with the guys. He's leading, you know, uh, out with the quarterbacks and getting in the weight room and doing all the extra work and doing all that. So his work ethic, um, you know, sometimes you worry about a guy that's been a star, Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, Pac-12 Freshman of the Year, you know, big time recruit, USC. Um, you know, he got hurt there, and and ch- coaching changes. He transfers to Pittsburgh, and people are all like, "What happened to Pittsburgh?" Well, they promised him that they were going to hire a, a offense coordinator and quarterbacks coach, and they were going to change the offense. And then he committed and signed, and then that never happened. So he he ran an offense that last year at Pitt that wasn't conducive. It wasn't pro style offense. It wasn't what he was hoping for to prepare him to go to the NFL. The reasons that he's at BYU, and I talked to him for a long time about it, is, first of all, he felt like culturally it was going to be a great fit for him. And, man, that's been a resounding positive where everybody feels like he just fits so well with his team. And it's because of his leadership and his work ethic that everybody just loves him. But from a perspective of what kind of offense he wanted to be in, this is exactly what he wanted, a pro style, make the reads, get the ball out, um, prepare for the NFL – I think he's going to flourish in this offense. I think he's going to have a big, big year. And what's nice is I feel like BYU's got deeper than they were. You, know, you had Cade and, and Jacob last year. I feel like Cade has made, made a step forward. He had already assumed the number two position as they got laid into the fall. Now he's got a, a year under his belt. You bring Ratzliff in, who is top junior college quarterback in the country. BYU, from a depth perspective, is better at quarterback position than they were a year ago. A big thanks to Blaine Fowler. Coming up next, we look back at the highs and lows of the BYU women's basketball season. Welcome back to Behind the Mic. Ember Whiting's first season as a college head basketball coach was not an easy one. Very little of the firepower from last season's NCAA tournament team returned. Balatea, hesitation. And the kiss off the glass. And yet rising She's star Nani Falatea and the rest of the team finished a respectable 16-16 and 16 before losing to Rice in the WNIT. They exceeded my expectations. But how did basketball analyst Kristen Kozlowski feel about this team? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think the postseason is always something you try to achieve. That's a goal that you set as a team early on. Um, I know this team in particular, their goal obviously was a WCC championship, whether the regular season or a title. Um in the tournament and that didn't happen, but they also hope for the NCAA tournament that didn't happen. So with the WNIT to be able to get that call and say, Hey, you compete in the WMIT. I think you have to acknowledge that as progress with this young group, but also celebrate the little things that they did. They continue to grow. They got better throughout the season to earn a spot in the WNIT. And so that shows a lot of progress. I think some expectations weren't met along the way necessarily, but 
I love to see them compete in the postseason. So that was big. Coach Whiting wanted this team to play tough defense. In your estimation, did they do that in year one? Coach Whiting, I think, did a really good job of inserting her culture of the defense first mentality. Um, and I know that this is something they work on in practice. I know that it was big in terms of just shell defense and something she really wanted to focus on when they would set individual goals every single game. Um, but they they finished in the top, I think, third, one, two, three spot of scoring defense as well as defensive field goal percent in the conference. So those are huge, especially with this young team that she was able to get that out of this team um, to play so well and get stops when they needed to. Um, but but definitely something I know Amber Whiting is going to focus on going forward to kind of hang her hat on defense. And I think it's start. we saw it start the season. You know, this team, when I first saw them play early on in the season, I was wondering if this was going to be a really long season for the coach and the players just because they started out the season four and eight. It was against tough competition. I get that. But still, you're like, you know, you're you're, you're kind of hoping, I want to see a little bit more. I, I guess the one thing that gave me hope for the future for this team was the fact that they fought back even though they started out 4-8. and eight. They ended the season 16-16. and 16. What what gave you hope for the future of this team? I, I agree with you in that that seven-game win streak was big, right? And so um, there was a lot of hope in that, that they could string that together and, and kind of get the confidence to win some of those games, some away, some at home. Um, and then the other part, I think, was going through conference, they lost a couple games, right? So they lost to Santa Clara in January and then they beat Santa Clara and they lost to San Francisco in January and then they beat San Francisco. And so I think that's progress, right? Where this team was, it showed moments of getting better moments of working on the game plan and getting it kind of to seal in the minds of these players that they could shift their focus and and get over, Hey, we lost to that team a month or two ago, but now we can beat them and let's just change our game plan and let's do better. Um, And I think that was something that gave me hope was that you saw this team get better. And there were moments of that throughout the season where they exemplified that. And and one of those being you lose to a team, you beat a team, the seven game win streak, and then also winning the two games in the WCC tournament. It's not easy to go compete in what they did. They had a game to finish regular season on Saturday and Monday, and then going right in on that Friday, Saturday, and they won those two games to get themselves into semifinals. So four games in seven days, um, I thought that was pretty good. Even though they lost the, first, the last two in regular season, to turn around and kind of reset your mind, go into the WCC tournament, and win those two first games was big. Was there anything, though, that left you wanting with this team? Like, you're like, oh, if they could just do this. I would have liked to see them close out games better uh, or win games where they really had a chance at the very end. Some of them coming down to just a few possessions, and they couldn't quite close it, whether it was a turnover, missed shots, or they didn't get a defensive stop. One of them, that Oklahoma game at home, they had a chance to win that game. Played really well for three quarters plus in that game. Uh, Ball State was one that I can think of where they probably should have won that game. In Spokane even, um, playing Gonzaga up at their place. They were in that the majority of the game, and it kind of came down to the end. couple possessions, didn't get stops, you know, left a shooter open. Then also maybe even San Diego at San Diego. That's a tough place to play, but they end up losing that game by a couple points. So, the one thing I think that I, I just wanted more at times is just to close out some of those tight games. And I think that would have even helped them get above 50% to finish the season. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I was looking at the scoring quarter by quarter by BYU and then their opponents. And the quarter that they gave up the most points was the fourth quarter. The quarter yep. that they gave up the second most points 
was the third quarter. And I thought that was just really fascinating that they, they struggled in the third and fourth quarter, at least holding leads, it sounds like, from you. Yeah, absolutely. And part of that is this was a really young team. I mean, you're returning everyone except Gabby Vasquez and then Devery Millet that are not coming back. Two players that really didn't play much for this team. So everyone's coming back. They were super young. A lot of players that were in role positions the season before now asked to step up, take on new leadership roles, take on new scoring, rebounding, defensive roles that they just, it just took some time, right? And you could kind of see that. And that's what kind of showed throughout the game. You know, they'd have a ton of energy, a lot of adrenaline the first part of the game, and then it would taper out of, off a little bit as teams would adjust and kind of continue to go at you. And you also had some players that played some big minutes for this team, obviously one being Lauren Gustin, where she she averaged 38 minutes per game, and then Nani Falatea, 35 minutes a game, a couple other players in the 30s. Um, so that takes an effect on you throughout the game. We've talked about this uh, during this in this podcast and on other podcasts here for BYU Radio, and it's about Lauren Gustin and the amazing season she had, averaging a double-double this season. And, and we've talked about her taking on that role as a leader and as, as a star for this team. Now that we're you know, everything's over with. How do you think she handled being the leader or go-to woman on this basketball team? I think Laura Gustin did an outstanding job. Uh, she by far was the most experienced player on this team, took on probably the heaviest role in terms of the pressure and uh, the focus of the other scouting reports on her. Um, but, but more importantly than what most people saw on the court, was this team needed leadership and Lauren Gustin stepped up and was that leader. She was the leader in the, in the locker room. She was the leader in the weight room. She was the leader, you know, when they had team meetings or when they were watching film, she just was able to step up in that role. And that's exactly what Amber Whiting needed her to do because the team was so young and inexperienced, but Lauren was able to do that and be obviously the top rebounder in the nation. So it was just incredible. I think what she did on the court, but also off the court to kind of lead this team. Can she get even better at rebounding? I'm not sure she can. I, I'm, I'm curious what you think. Oh, hard to do, right? I mean, how do you beat what she did with those 16 and a half rebounds per game, number one in the nation? Uh, but, man, I, I just think a player like Lauren Gustin doesn't come along very often, and you really can tell it's ingrained in her to work hard. Uh, she works hard in the weight room. That's obvious. She works hard at getting herself in shape. That's obvious. So I think she's going to continue to get better and better on the court. Um, now, with that being said, we're moving into the Big 12. So she is playing against much tougher, stronger, bigger competition to come this next season. And um, So it's going to be a lot harder to sustain the numbers she put up this season. Do I think she can do it? Absolutely. Is it going to be more difficult? Absolutely. <laughs> so having star plays around her, though, I think that's going to help. And that will be kind of that change coming this next year. Nani was kind of the other star, right? That other, that one-two punch with Lauren. But you're going to see some other players come in, kind of that mixture come in this next year that's going to take more pressure off Lauren and let her continue to go to work on the board. Let's talk about some of the things that some of these players need to work on. I think with Lauren, I think the most obvious thing is just some sort of a consistent outside shot because she's always going to be able to work and get underneath the basket just because of her rebounding prowess, but also she's one of the most you know reliable uh, low post scorers that BYU has. But let's talk about some of the others. Uh, you talked about Nani Falatea. You know, I, I think she's a star in the making here, but she would even admit that she needs to work on some things. What would you like to see from her uh, next season yeah I, I would like to see her consistently throughout the game 
do a much better job taking care of the ball. And, and um, she's just a sophomore this year, obviously right into that starting role and taking on a ton of pressure. I mean, that is one of the hardest positions to play at the point guard position. She was under a lot of pressure, not only to score, they needed her to score with that shot clock going down, um, but just facilitate the offense. So I think that's something she can really focus on is, is just to limit her miscues going forward. Uh, part of that was being tired, maybe just being young, losing some focus. But I think that would be the number one thing is her ball control. Ariel Mackey-Williams, Kaylee Smiler, they round out kind of the guard rotation that we have, the main guards that got to play this past year. They played phenomenal. Kaylee was really good on defense, and they both shot the ball pretty well this past season. What do you think they need to work on? Um, probably similar for both of them. Both of them, I saw a lot of improvement in their defense. I think that can continue to get even better though. Um, continue to work, especially because Amber's going to want to bring some full court pressure. If she has the depth, she's, she wanted to do that this year and she didn't have enough depth moving forward. She wants to be able to pressure the ball full court. So I think Mackie Williams and Smiler can continue to work on defense, but also I would say their mid range pull-up coming off the screen ball action right into a mid range pull-up be more of a three-level score in, instead of a two, because we know they both can shoot from the outside, and they're much improved at, at getting to the rim off the dribble. So that pull-up for both of them is something in the offseason I would focus on. What about a couple of uh, players that play the post or the forward position? We've got Emma Calvert, and we also have we also have Rose Bubakar. Yeah, Calvert, for sure. I, I saw a lot of improvement late in the season um, just with her confidence and, and wanting to take shots. Boy, she, she hit some big shots towards the end of regular season and even into the WCC tournament had a great finish. Um, But I think she can continue to work on her shot and then definitely down low or post moves, get more consistent around the rim, finishing, get stronger, uh, better in shape and just be able to play more minutes. And then Rose Bubakar is another one like Lauren that can continue to work on her range. But I would also say her post moves. Um, She presents a lot of mismatch problems with her size, athleticism. So improvement on post moves, to take a smaller player down low or have that range to hit shots on the outside against those bigger players who don't close out. I know the season ended not too long ago, and we're still several months uh, from the start of the next season, but do you expect a better team next year? I I would think so. It might take a little bit of getting used to each other in those first you know, few weeks of the season, but I just still expect this team to be better than they were this past season. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I, th- I think they're going to get better, and we saw them get better as the season progressed. So they're going to build upon that. And then you throw in the mixture of the recruits that Amber Whiting's already signed and has committed coming. Um, one of those being her daughter, as you mentioned, Amari. Now, Amari is an incredible leader. Um, so she'll be coming in off that ACL, but Amari's going to help just even off the court with the leadership of this group. So it's it's kind of like a puzzle, right? You've got great returners coming back. And now Amber Whiting is just trying to fit those other puzzle pieces in by utilizing the transfer portal. That's a big part of the game right now. And then just some of the other recruits coming in. It's going to be fun to watch. Kristen Kozlowski, you've been a pro on uh, on basketball, both men's and women's basketball here on Behind the Mic. Thanks a lot for joining us again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Download and subscribe to Behind the Mic wherever you find podcasts or listen to all episodes on the BYU Radio app. Behind the Mic is a production of BYU Radio.